Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our eight-week celebration of horror with a discussion about queer horror. And I'm very excited because we have Roman and Tyler back. As everybody knows, I rave about these two a lot. I just I just love them. They're so great. And if you haven't listened to our interview with them, I don't know why you haven't listened to our interview with them, but go back and listen to it. It is honestly, and I love all my interviews, but it's honestly probably my favorite. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that because they can see me right now. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Keep it up. <laughs> but I'm really excited to have both of them on. And before I have them introduce themselves, and they can tell me something they're into right now in pop culture, just a quick housekeeping note that we are on Patreon now. So head on over there and give us your support. And remember, if you support us at the highest level, the gold pass, as we're calling it, once a month, you can attend and ask me anything. I mean, I will veto certain questions maybe, but you can try to ask me anything and I'll answer. (laughs) So that link will be in our show notes or head on over to any of our social media and it's there. So Roman, thanks again for coming back. And what are you into right now in pop culture? Have you been watching Sex Education, the show on uh, uh, no, Netflix? No, I, I have never even watched it yet. I know, I know, but okay, yeah. no, it's fine because it's going to tie into <laughs> what we're talking about later. It's going to come back at the the closer. So okay, that's been that's been my you know it's it's in its third season now. It's a really popular mm-hmm. show. Most people I've talked to, they usually erupt in gales of like, oh my god, I love it. I'm totally into that show right now. The third season blew me away is exactly what it sounds like. And it is, there's a lot to talk about, but it is, it is like the, the, the queer topics that we have never had before come out in a way that just makes me smile. It's awesome. So that's, that's my, my jam right now. Awesome. Yeah. We've had a few panelists recommend that show. So I know I have to watch it. It's on my, long long list we'll have to cover it on this show and that's how i'll get to watch it because everything i watch is for this show so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and tyler what are you hi doing? hi uh my name is tyler uh thank you for having me back i have to start off by saying i lost my voice yesterday preparing for this podcast <laughs> by watching a certain movie we're gonna talk about and i screamed so loud and so long 
that I sound like this now. And as I get more passionate, you'll hear in my voice just how well I thought that movie was. Um, <laughs> but the things I'm obsessed with right now, uh, it's the start of spooky season. I've been watching, you know, whatever Netflix is releasing, Nightbooks, brand new cherry flavor I thought was fantastic. In non-spooky terms, I've been watching the other two on HBO and Only Murders in the Building, and they're both hilarious. There's so much I need to watch. <laughs> I like Whenever people come on, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this long list, and then eventually in 10 years, but I'll get it around to <laughs> We have so much stuff out right now. Like, I thought that through the pandemic, everything's dying down, but it just feels like mm-hmm. it's kind of come back in full force. And, like, every, every day someone's telling me I have to watch them. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. here we all are. <laughs> right, right. To add to your list, and we're yeah. going to run out of TV at some point. So. At <laughs> so, some point it'll all be gone. But we'll never run out of episodes for this show. I mean, I have. you should see my list of, like, 300 different things to cover at some point. Uh, well, like I said, everything I watch is for this podcast now. But, um, of course, I'm happy that it's spooky season. And I'm happy because all I'm watching is horror. I had taken a break from the darkness when I, you know, after everyone knows the Ryan Murphy binge was hell on my <laughs> psyche. Wait, um, which one? Which oh, one? I w- we covered Nip Tuck, which, oh, my gosh, that show is, I used to love crazy, that show. Crazy. And we watched it. And I'm like, this is the worst show ever <laughs> We hated it when we we watched it, and then we did Glee, which was my first time watching Glee. And then we sorry, (laughs) and then it's fun in small doses. I couldn't binge the whole. Oh yeah, it was hard to binge. And then American Horror Story, of course, and then um, American Crime Story. So we did we did those. So it was a lot for my psyche to take. (laughs) Right, Right, like. Show me some great British Bake Off. I need yeah. to like calm down. Yeah, but then but then I went into watching WB shows, and I'm like, okay, I want to go back to the darkness now. So. Dawson's Creek for life. Yeah, that was one of them. Actually, no. My favorite Ryan Murphy show is Popular. Yeah, season mm-hmm. one only. Season only one. season one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Ryan Murphy. We had, but those are some of our most popular episodes. So as everybody knows. We're going to be covering him again next year. So again, I'm going to need <laughs> drugs and therapy. But <laughs> but I'm into the final Halloween trailer. Everybody knows I love Halloween. So <laughs> I'm so excited for that movie. I can't even stand We're, it. I'm so excited. I refuse to watch any more trailers. I don't need to know. You already have my money. Just let me watch it, please. Yes, yes. I can't wait. I can't wait. And we're going to be covering Halloween. So... Everybody knows. Okay, so let's get into queer horror. So I want to just talk first off. I mean, a lot of the things we're going to be, a lot of the movies we're going to be talking about, a lot of them are queer coded and don't necessarily come directly out. Like there aren't necessarily a lot of like open openness about it, which is, I think, still goes on today. But I want to talk about like early depictions and any queer coded films before the 80s and the 90s that you want to mention Roman that might've even had harmful stereotypes, of course. I mean, I kind of feel like everything before the eighties was a harmful stereotype for the most part, Mm -hmm. but um, there were great examples. I mean, you know, Hitchcock was great. I mean, psycho is obvious, but 
all of his care there's always like some underlying thing through most of his stuff but i feel like it's more interesting when we get to the 80s and the 90s because there's there's a relevance there like looking back i love those old movies but they don't feel real to me at all mm-hmm. not not real movies just like in terms of the queer the queer mm-hmm. topics i feel like i love them to be able to watch these great actors and, and the subtlety is amazing but i feel like the, I, we've moved beyond the subtlety now and i feel like the the real meat and bones is like kind of in the closer decade um yeah the eight not even the 80s i feel like 90s and beyond is where we really got like more things to unpack. The 80s stuff seemed like, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of amazing stuff and a lot of queer things tucked in there. Yeah, that's just me. What about you, Tyler? I definitely, one of my favorite movies is actually William Castle's Homicidal, which was his reaction to Psycho. He's like, oh, you think this is wild? I can one-up that. And you know, he was famous for his gimmicks, but this is, I don't want to spoil the ending for anyone, so you can skip ahead, but if Psycho is the murderous homosexual, Homicidal is the murderous trans character. And it is fun and campy now to look back and be like, this is wild. I can't believe they, they did this. It's obviously problematic when most of our depictions of trans people in cinema are always murderous or being tricksters or, you know, devious in some way or untrustworthy. It is not great. And it's taken a long time to get better representation on that. But as a camp for camp value of like a real queer reading, it is, it is a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, I mean, you, well, you have that harmful mm. trans stereotype going into Silence of the Lambs, too, of course. Famously. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, it's like Silence of the Lambs. It's Sleepaway Camp. It's Yeah, um, oh, yeah, Sleepaway Camp. Big oh, time. God. Uh, Dress to Kill. Um, mm-hmm. Terror Train. It's like, it's, it's the one thing that was yeah. used over and over again to mm-hmm. justify, or like, to, to shock an audience. And... That has real-life harmful effects. Mm-hmm. Not just with trans people. It was just women in general. I think they use them as the scapegoats. The, like the jilted lover or the, you know, the upset mother. It's always like a woman who's like gone off the rails. And, oh, my God, she's mentally unwell. Everybody watch out. You know, that seems to be kind of like the, <laughs> but see, the motivation that's... for a lot of the writers. was <laughs> so like, wow. How scary, man. Back up, you know? Right. So that's kind of the why I coy, I bristle at movies like Homicidal, because I'm like, she's... How, you're telling me that woman is, like, nuts. Do you know how long it takes her to do her hair and makeup like that? Like, she's on point, you know? <laughs> if <laughs> that's she's where, killing that's... you... If, if she's killing you, you deserved it. <laughs> it, um... It is a strong lineage to like Serial Mom, to Sleepaway Camp 2, being like, this person is killing you because you're an asshole and it's your fault. <laughs> That's true. Or even you 
could even go to May as well, a more recently one. I love May. Mm. I love May so much. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just jump ahead then to the 80s and the 90s. And there are a lot of movies to talk about in both of them. I want to just talk about Clive Barker, though, first, because mm -hmm. I think you can't talk about this without talking about Clive Barker films and Clive Barker in general. Because, of course, Hellraiser, I think Hellraiser and Nightbreed are the biggest ones people bring up, um, especially, I think, Nightbreed more than even Hellraiser to some extent. Um, so what are your feelings on both of those films, Roman? Well, Clive Barker was my hero when I was a teenager. So when Hellraiser came out, it was, you know, I'd always been an 80s Freddy Krueger fan. Uh, that's what brought me here. But it was Clive Barker and whatever magic, whatever game magic he put in his work, I was receptive to it. And I had, I was a freshman in high school when that came out. And it just was a, his artwork. Like, I love those movies, but he himself and his artwork and his stories meant more to me than anything. And because mm -hmm. I, it was so ballsy to be who he was up front, probably because he was from England. He was, he, he had that little extra support to be that way. Uh, as opposed to if he was in America, he would have been a closeted writer, artist, but it was amazing. And I love the fact that he was able to just be very forward about everything. Not so much in like Hellraiser, but just in the art that he would present. He wasn't doing subtext so much. It was just text and I loved it. Do you want to tell them about coming out to your mom? About Hellraiser? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> You could, you could, you'll probably tell it better than I could, but it was, it was, uh, that was my whole, my, my room had like chains and weird art and incense burners that looked like, like Hellraiser boxes. My room was very scary. And I, you know, I, I remember walking around with like, I had a very long gold cigarette holder. I was very punkish goth and I had this cigarette holder that would like extend like two feet. It was not subtle at all. Wow. And like, I was basically asking for confrontation from my, my family, like what's going on here, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I remember like my mother was an interior decorator. She'd always bring me to San Francisco to go to showrooms. You know, it was, I, I had like a little bit more exposure than most people as a kid. So she was, I remember she asked me one day, I think I was 16, if I was gay. And I said, well, you know, sort of and i was like I, I didn't know how to answer it right then and I, I i think i said something more like you know i'm more just into like s m and bondage and stuff and like the whole aesthetic i had a, a latex shirt i had just bought and spikes and i didn't realize what i was saying to her like she died inside when she heard this she was like i just wanted you to have a boyfriend you know <laughs> and uh I, I guess I was just trying to figure out who I was, but it was more my rebellious side that was like, you know, I don't want to be defined that way. There's a whole other side to me, but yeah, it scared the hell out of her. I didn't mean to. I love that story. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for sharing. That, yeah. Well, I thank Clive Barker for getting me there, mm. you know? I'm going to be confrontational and say that I'm not wild about the first Hellraiser movie. I do find the series to be very bleak and very dark. And 
my personal taste, I need a little bit of lightness. I need a little bit of hope. And I think Hellraiser 2 is really good. It has that in there for me to feel like I can overcome this darkness um, that I didn't really get with the other installments. But when I was a kid and I discovered my sister's VHS copy of Nightbreed, I loved it. I loved everything about this movie. And there were so many crazy monsters. I wanted to live in Midian. I'm like, this is what I'm gonna be when I grow up. And then I watched it maybe two or three years ago. And I'm like, this movie doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> and I don't care. It is so committed to this other world and just showing you new characters every 10 seconds. And I'm like, it's not a good movie. It's a great movie. Um, in terms of Nightbreed, Hellraiser, it's very dark. And that was exciting when I was a kid to see all that. Um, as I watched more horror movies, my tastes kind of siphoned off into I need that final girl trope to be like front and center. Mm -hmm. And... I need someone to go through the darkness and come out the other side victorious and surviving. And like, I need that. And that is there in Hellraiser and in the sequels, but yeah, but not. it's so dark. It's so heavy. I'm like, I'm not having fun with this, but I do appreciate it. Especially mm -hmm. the, the creature design and the effects work in the first one. I did dress up as, Julia with no skin and a, and a white suit for Halloween one year. I love that. It's it's a fashion movie for me more yeah. than anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I and I get that with the dark, with the darkness and having a dark ending because there are some times where you do kind of want that a hero to emerge and there to be something that you can look forward to and not just bleakness right. after bleakness on top of bleakness. So, yeah, I totally, totally understand that. I mean, there are a lot of movies on here that we were going to discuss that have a lot of bleakness to them, which is... Right, right. And I can go there if you give me enough joy in the mm -hmm. process. Like, if you really scare me and it's really bleak, round of applause. Yeah, yeah. did want to say one thing about... Clive Barker and it's more about the time period. I think what people also I in the terms of the in the broad spectrum of gay cinema or 1990s horror and all that, I, I feel like that there is also something to consider, which is the rebellion that was happening during that time. Like I, I feel like a lot of people who love Clive Barker don't realize that they're little anarchists at heart, really. Cause like he was more than just like hypersexual in his in his stories he was there was just this sort of like uh non-conventional i don't give a fuck behind everything you know religiously and sexually and i feel like there was a lot of people that were he came out he was big at a time where a lot of us were like waking up you know there was that was during the time when like act up really like launched and a lot of other gay, or we got really political at that time. And, you know, Tyler and I have actually done a lot of research about that era for something else where we realized there was a lot of gay rebellion, a lot of 
uh, it was the second wave of fem feminist or third wave of feminism that had started right then. Like there was a lot, mm -hmm. it was a time of upheaval for, for progress. And so along comes Clive Barker that was going hand in hand with, you know, this counterculture that I was a big part of, you know, the punks and goths and just tattoos and piercings were really big. Like it was just a perfect embodiment of what we were sort of feeling at the time. And so to me, Hellraiser reminds me of like what woke me up just in general as a kid, what kind of got me out of bed in the morning and got me through the halls at school was that. So I love, I love Clyde Barker. Not just yeah. his imagination. Yeah, and that's, that's very true that what you're saying about, because um, I know when I was in high school, you know, I went to an alternative high school. I went to like an artsy school and we were all like the people that were thought of as the freaks and the people that nobody wanted to talk to and, um, and were picked on all the time, that kind of stuff. And it was a lot of goths and a lot of punks and a lot of just a lot of people that didn't fit in. And we all kind of fit in together. And, you know, I remember just hanging out at coffee shops for hours and hours and hours and smoking clove cigarettes and drinking yep. coffee and being, yep. you know, angry at the world and angry at, you know, we were in a generation where it was like, you know, you were the latchkey generation and you were kind of raising yourself. And so when you had stuff like this, the, the stuff that was quote unquote darker was easier to find your place in just because it embraced you and who you were as a human. And it didn't feel like you had to change yourself to fit in. And I think that is the beauty of those films, even though I do agree, Tyler, with the, with the darkness that sometimes that can be hard. But I think there's also this beauty in being able to find yourself and see yourself on screen in any kind of depiction, uh, maybe that you weren't seeing before. And especially at that time when it was like this new kind of rebellion. I mean, we also had you know, we had the Gulf War and all that stuff going on, too. And you had, I mean, I remember at 13 protesting that up on the street and getting flipped off and that kind of stuff. So you did have this new wave of people that were, you know, some people in my generation also were looking back at the 60s. And while we wanted to sort of do that, we were also looking back at it like, hey, you were supposed to change the world. And then you became exactly what you were fighting against. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And so you had a lot of that. So I think that was also reflected in the media and in um, and the songs as well, the music as well. And at that time, um, you had a lot of that where you had a lot of that anger and distrust, I think, was the other thing and disillusionment and also feeling like what kind of world are we being left in? And and I think now, and I know you're younger, Tyler, but I think now um, for a lot of us that were in in that generation, it feels like we are the forgotten generation still. We're kind of like there, but people don't talk about us. It's just, you know, they jump to the millennials and then right, beyond that. Right. And yeah, so, and so I think these movies kind of represent that time period. And when you're coming of age, when you're watching that, and you're growing up and you're already going through all these questions about, you know, sexuality and your awakening and all this stuff, having that. And if you already feel different, I think is a interesting thing to latch on to. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to have that because you didn't have that in a lot of the other media from that time, I don't think. So, yeah. We definitely had to it, find like Madonna's sex book. You had Hellraiser, you had Nine Inch Nails, like, closer. You know, there there was a lot of that that wasn't explicitly gay. But, like, I remember the first time being able to see two guys kissing. 
and was on Madonna's Truth or Dare movie, and like everybody loved that, you know. So there was <laughs> there was a lot of we had a lot of allies, believe it or not, and that when everyone was rising up, and I feel very fortunate to have been able to start to come of age during that time, even though it was still kind of confusing because like you can't expect a fifteen year old to really be able to grasp the full concept of like you know bonded in S&M in a Hellraiser movie, but still feel like there's something identifiable with whoever put art into this. You know, somebody yeah. is left of center that's involved. And so therefore, to me, that puts it more in a queer cinema category than some of the actual other things we might talk about. But that's mm -hmm. my two cents, maybe 10 cents. <laughs> it's a whole quarter <laughs> i agree i agree okay yeah. and then uh, let's move on to the hunger which uh, you can't talk about this without talking about the hunger and of course vampires in general you also i mean that whole mythos i mean you've got the vampire series you know the Anne rice's vampire series you've got interview with a vampire all of that too mm -hmm. so vampires already are these very 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 sexual beings um, and already can be queer coded a lot. So, uh, but the hunger, I think even took it to, to a different level, of course, cause that's one everybody talks about. So I want to get your thoughts on the hunger, Roman. So do you like the hunger? I love the hunger. The hunger is very strange because it doesn't feel like it, it feels like it wasn't just ahead of its time. It wasn't even considering the time. It's just, so uber style and again felt like a movie that was made by people that were not affected by social norms they were just mm -hmm. making something beautiful um and sexy and yeah it i mean just the opening with Bauhaus and and how they made it like this really like nightclub sultry I, everything about it just seems very ahead of its time i guess but would you consider when did you see the, it, Tyler? I honestly, yeah, I was an adult, so this would have been, I don't know, after I moved to New York, that's when I finally watched it. And I remember the opening sequence being like, is this cruising for straight people? Is this what I'm witnessing in this moment? They have like locked their eyes on the prey, they bring them back home and eat them. No, I love the style of this movie, the fashion. It feels like a 40s black and white movie in like super high contrast. Blues, blacks and whites. It is fantastic. Um, but no, it does follow that lineage of like the fearless or the lesbian vampire movies from the 60s and the 70s, the, the Jess Franco like highly eroticized. Um, uh, we can depict lesbians on film if they're vampires, if they get punished for it in the end. Yeah. Like that's kind of what it feels like. We're allowed to be voyeurs in this uh, subculture because through the horror tropes, we know that they will be punished in the end. Yeah, well, and famously, you know, the the scene, the sex scene between um, Susan Sarandon um, and and Catherine 
you know, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Thank you. I'm mispronouncing it there. Mm. Famously, they wanted her to be very drunk. They wanted Susan Sarandon's character to be completely wasted. Really? And yeah, mm. and for that scene. And Susan Sarandon said, no, I don't think that's a good idea because. I mean, first off, she's like, who would not sleep with, <laughs> who would not sleep with her? And mm. second off, she's like, that's just sends a bad message that I would have to be drunk. And it almost seems like I'm being taken advantage of if you do right. that. Mm. So she fought for them to not have that scene depicted that way, which I think is good because, yeah, but, but what you're talking about is true. It's like they, there is the punishment there of, you know, it's, you can, you can be, it's the punishment you see in media all the time, where if you are going to be open and if you're going to, if you're gay, you are going to be punished somehow. You're right. going to be in pain somehow. Your life is mm -hmm. going to be pain and hard. And so even though this movie is is great and what, and that whole opening with Bauhaus is pretty amazing, even to this day, it's still kind of like, wow, this was made. This actually got <laughs> made back then it was kind of hard to believe. And that it was a Tony Scott directed movie also still just still just really blows my mind. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, depicting women in power, acting on their sexuality however mm -hmm. they want it, seems like it's only depicted in movies if they have to pay a price in the end. That's that's very true. And that still even happens today, even in, you know, the movie whose shirt I'm wearing prompts exactly. a young woman, even though exactly. I love that movie. I mean, we did a whole episode on it, even though I love that movie so, so much. You still have the punishment for someone right. who is strong and is powerful and is taking control over life. That is that is very, very, very true. It's right. I mean, even with final girls, even though it is empowering, you still have so many of them that in the very next movie get killed instantly. So right. <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. you can be in power for one movie and then that's it. <laughs> Only scream. Only scream. <laughs> yeah, scream. And well, I mean, you could argue Laurie Strode and of course Ripley. True. You, I mean, well, Ripley's a fine that's a final girl. So Ripley died. Laura Strode died. But, yes, and but they Ripley brought her back. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and now and now she's back, back. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, we're gonna re we're gonna keep doing it again and again because that's what people want, and they're gonna show up. So yeah, a story needs stakes to you know really connect with you, and if you have to kill your final girl to you know. Heather Langenkamp in Dream Warriors. It's like, mm -hmm. it's the same thing. That's when we're like, oh no, we lost our hope. But hopefully this new generation can save us for the next time. I don't know. But yeah, no, it's true. Hmm. It's true. <laughs> it's very true. I know this isn't on the outline, but are there any other vampire movies or vampires in general really quickly before we move on to the, the next one on here that you want to talk about just because their vampires are so prevalent in this? I do. I think when I saw Blackula, his first kill of that movie are two homosexual men. Is, is Did I remember that right? I think that's I my first time forever, so. seeing uh, like gay men out and like this we're very obviously gay mm -hmm. and we're gonna get sucked off by the count like that's <laughs> wild to me that that 
Was the uh, first season? I don't think I've ever seen Blackula actually. And so then now I, I think I need to. When I, <laughs> when I was growing up and I had access to Friday the 13th movies, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, parents didn't care. However, Interview with a Vampire comes out and suddenly an R rating means absolutely not. And so I think my older sister rented it from the video store. I ran home from school before everyone came home and I watched it on fast forward so I could see what was so bad about this movie. And I didn't get it. I've seen (laughs) vampires before. What's the big deal? Watching it again, I'm like, oh, this is very gay. Not only that, but like here are two gay dads and their vampire daughter. And like, it's not weird. You're just like, yeah, that's, I like this. Yeah. So it's, it's weird that they forbade me to see it, which made it more enticing. Like something about this movie is so wrong that suddenly my parents give a shit. And then like, oh, they know, they know. <laughs> about me so well yeah. they did mm, but yeah. uh i don't i just loved vampires in general so i don't really have i mean i love nosferatu the 70s one with klaus kinski and there's just something very i i do think that a lot of older generation gays have this feeling of like they wear the veil they they are some somebody else they know how to just walk around and be a caricature of who they really are and i think vampires uh the old time vampires tend to kind of have that facade about them where they're just like they're monsters pretending to be men and that's that's i don't know i just sort of always identified with that but they're also cool about it they're not like wild like werewolves i i had this thought watching one of our later movies yesterday i'm like this movie, Raw, we'll talk about it, we'll get into it, but I'm like, this is more of a werewolf movie than a vampire movie. You yeah, rarely will see a vampire movie where the vampire has remorse. Whereas the werewolf movie is unique because <laughs> the beast, the monster, has no memory when they wake up in the morning and they just see the destruction that they caused. A vampire is like, this is who I am. You are nothing to me but sustenance. And I find that terrifying. But in Interview with the Vampire, <laughs> uh, Louis kind of has a lot of like, you know, woe is me. And so at first, at first. And then you've got like Angel on Buffy, and then you've got annoying Bill Compton on True Blood, and then you've got <laughs> and then and then Fucky. you've got oh yeah. Fucky. <laughs> I hate that character so much. So you do have those. And then, of course, the Twilight series, which, <laughs> you know, where they sparkle. Mm. So you have different levels. But but that is true. I mean, vampires are very much about living that life and living there and living what they and doing what they want to do and fuck everybody else kind of thing. And it's just right. like all about pleasure. And I think that that is very different than a werewolf because a werewolf does have that thing of like, you know, it's like the werewolf is the beast within the man. And so, you know, you've got all that regret. That's, that's very, that's very true. Well, I mean, I know you both did a whole documentary about Nightmare on Elm Street part two. (laughs) 
<laughs> Screen Queen, my nightmare. Um, if if you haven't seen that, please go watch that movie and then now also available. go listen to the- <laughs> now available on iTunes. And it's on iTunes. Okay. Awesome. And is it's still on um Shutter too, right? It is true. It is true, yes. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So I know you both have talked extensively about that. You did a whole documentary. So I don't know if you even want to mention that movie again or talk about anything about that. I don't know if you're at the point where you're like enough talking about this movie. But if you no, no, they're both never like, no. Never. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> no, never. I, I you could talk about this one forever. I still I think it's has this reputation of being the gayest horror movie ever and being so successful as it is because it's still subversive. It's still wild that it even got made that this story within the story was not noticed or or like stifled in the beginning. The fact that Freddy Krueger became such a pop culture icon and everyone was like, yes, this is our new Dracula. This is our new universal monster. Allowed it to be accessible in mm-hmm. everyone's home and to be on cable and to have this secret little queer story at the center of it is why it's so amazing. The fact that you can watch this movie with your straight friends at a sleepover and be like, oh my God, this is awakening something within me that I don't have to explain. I can just be another kid watching a scary movie at a sleepover. And that's wonderful. That, I mean, that was literally my experience watching it was the sleepover as a kid with friends. But I do have to say that I think I, obviously you and I have spoken with so many people that it, that it brings tears to their eyes being able to say i you know mark was all of these things for me but i also feel like the movie in general if you step away from horror the movie is kind of remarkable in the fact that it was coming out at a time where i mean what the writer was actually doing was trying to paint a true character of a male that wasn't trying to fit into the stereotypes that had been, you know, had come before. Like, this is just a guy, you know, that's, he's, he's having a hard time fitting in. Now maybe there's subtext there, but at the same time, it's, we were starting to get to a point where like they were starting to show different kind of characters and then AIDS happened. And everything like got pushed back in the other direction. So to me, I look at Nightmare 2 as that pivot point where things really kind of, they kicked the ball in the other direction. Because they it could have been the start of uh, just more realistic portrayals of masculinity. That doesn't necessarily have to be a gay person because you're in peril and you don't know what to do. You know, because they they were starting to like let go of a lot of those stereotypes, like girls screaming and falling down. We had Nancy Thompson. She didn't do any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. She did the opposite. You know, so there were uh, directors that were coming out. They were trying to like change things. They're like, we don't need people like, you know, getting their dresses torn in the bushes while they're running. We want (laughs) to see something that, that actually is awesome. And I wonder, had we not had 
the epidemic, the health epidemic that happened, how would that movie have been portrayed? How would we or perceived? I don't know. I, I do think that most people, I don't think that everybody was just waking up to a whole new world in 1985. I think there's still, you know, the 80s shows got jocks with like sweaters tied around their necks and beaten up nerds in every single movie. So it definitely was a problem with all of us who were not getting along, but I think we were starting to, and I wonder what would have happened, how that movie would have fared over the next decade had AIDS not happened. Would it have been disregarded as like, hey, wasn't that scary? Or would people have still shunned it because it was a male lead in peril? I don't know. But it's actually a very complicated movie to talk about because there's so many different angles to look at with that movie. And then at the heart of it is a guy who had his own experience in in the in the heart of the, the storm, you know? So it's crazy. Sorry. <laughs> Demina no, sucked the air out of the room in that one. No, but no. Nightmare no. 2 is, is a very complicated one to talk about. I feel very protective of it and i also feel like it needs to be uh it needs it needs the accolades of being like it stood up during a time that it really it really shouldn't have even been made so kudos to that yeah when did you first see it Aaron? Uh, when i was a kid because i was i was like a, i think i was a preteen or something i don't know because i loved all the nightmare on elm street that was that was my thing when i was younger that was my favorite of all of them uh, was definitely the nightmare series. And I remember when I first saw it, I, I will be honest, I didn't like it. And I think a lot of it was because I I felt like it was so different from the other ones that I was like, Oh, well I'm missing, you know, the actual storyline. It doesn't feel like it's following the same storyline. They're just in the same house. And, you know, so it took me a while. And, and I will say, and I, I think I said this when I spoke to both of you last is I think your documentary helped me appreciate the movie in a different way. And then when I watched it not too long ago in preparation for this, I have a new appreciation for it because I didn't realize at the time when I was watching it, when I was young, what it meant to people deeper meaning in the movie i didn't really get a lot of that the first time i watched it honestly i was just like okay this is different we have a guy who's going to be so it's going to be a final guy and not a final girl and we're not going to follow the kids on elm street so it's not really a sequel but it is a sequel but it's not so it was very confusing at at that time and i know you know even when i bought like like the whole series like years later on dvd i was even kind of like i don't know if i'll ever watch the second one again but now like i said i do have a deeper appreciation for it because i just didn't i was just naive to not even realizing what it meant to so many people um and the deeper meaning there and i think both your documentary then also watching uh never sleep again when they briefly talk about it on there too mm -hmm. um also helped me see it in a different a different light but but the whole Nightmare on Elm Street series for me was a very empowering series. And we're going to talk about that later on this in October. But it was just because you had so many strong and powerful women in within that that weren't sexualized as much as in other slasher movies. So right. which was <clears throat> very, very refreshing to see. So it wasn't just about their sexuality of the good girl. I mean, Yes, Nancy was a good girl, but at the same time, it wasn't just about In that. In a realistic way, though. She was yeah. realistically. She wasn't being a goody-two-shoes, really, but 
I also mm-hmm. think that with those with part two, it has a lot to do with when you saw it as well. So there was no very true. Well, Dream Warriors had just come out, but it wasn't really readily available on VHS yet when I saw part two. Had I seen them in a different order, like a lot of kids did, mm-hmm. I would have been maybe a little let down that it didn't have all the fantasy fun elements and rock and roll that I loved that really drew the biggest fan base. So if you see them in that order and you're of the age where you're of MTV, you're not going to love part two. They marketed it. it. It just, there's a lot of things that came out wrong with it, you know? So if you tell these people, Hey, we made a sequel to this other movie, but it happens to be a much more mature or slow burn movie. People are going to like it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. they, they didn't really, they were sloppy with a lot of this movie like the marketing and thinking like, what are people going to expect? I think it's awesome that they took a chance and did something that was maybe more mature in terms of the storytelling or the tone, but you know, that's what's going That's the backlash is going to happen. And at the same time, if you are a kid going, if you're going to watch Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and you've heard all about Freddy and all these wild things, and yet there's only really one crazy Freddy moment where he comes out of Jesse's body, it's not going to feel like a good payoff for you. So just mm-hmm. on those terms, I could see why people weren't in love with the movie at first because they were they had different expectations. Had it come out as like just not an Elm Street movie, but like a haunted house movie, I think people might have liked it better. I never heard anybody saying, I hated Witchboard. It was boring. But Witchboard is essentially <laughs> the same movie. It's the same movie. It's the same lookalike actor, male lead, who's kind of like, you know, trying to figure out what this ghost is coming to get him. And it's just like the straight boy version of Nightmare 2 in a way. You know, there's a ghost <laughs> guy coming from the other realm. It's, so if you if you look at it that way, it's just that it had it been like uh, not an Elm Street movie, I don't think people would have had the disdain for it. So that that was a hurdle it had for sure. Yeah, that's a very good that's a very good point. Very good point there. Yeah. And I know uh, Rebecca, who's one of our panelists who will be, I believe she's going to be on our, she's going to be on our nightmare episode. She always, I mean, we propose this question to our, all our social media about your favorite queer horror film. And she always mentions this one and she mentioned it forever. She loves nightmare on Elm street too. She, I think it's actually her favorite nightmare movie. And, and I don't know when she first watched him. I think she first watched him more when she was like late teens or an adult and she's a different generation. So she would have watched, I think she watched it on like DVD or something. And she just always has, has appreciated, appreciated it a lot. Um, And so I think that's, that's very true. I think it depends when you saw it. I think that's a good point. If you, and especially if you saw them out of order and I'm trying to remember, I honestly don't remember if I saw it out of order because I know I love the third one, like a lot. That's one of my absolute favorite ones. So I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I was so young, but I'm trying to remember if I saw this one before that one, because it just always kind of got lost in my mind. I mean, it's nowhere near as bad as like the sixth nightmare in Elm Street. I think it's really bad. But, you know, as far as like in my memory of at that time, it wasn't. We don't have to tear these people down. (laughs) We don't have to pick favorites. They're all my children now. (laughs) They're all my children now. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, but I do, but I do want to say that's another reason why I appreciated your documentary is seeing it from a different side and seeing a different point of view of it, and it gives you a different appreciation for something that you didn't see there before. And so then when you watch it after that, it's like a totally different movie to me. Um, and I do agree. If it wasn't in the same universe as Nightmare and it wasn't in the Freddy universe, I think people would have a different appreciation for it. But it was wasn't it a big like box office hit, though? That's right. the thing that most people forget, I think, is that it was actually a huge success at the box office. Right, right. So, it's only but a you know, flop it's just like, in terms of like popular opinion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you go to a restaurant, everybody most people are going to complain before they praise something. So, you That's know, true. if they leave it and they're like, that was cool. They're not going to say much, but it's always those that have something negative to say they're you're going to hear about it. So, yeah, I don't know. But also as we, just like with Halloween three, as the yeah. years have gone by, we've matured more and we appreciate more of these sort of moodier horror movies from the past that we're revisiting going, Oh, you know what? This tone vibes with me now. I was just too young when I saw it. Cause now mm -hmm. a lot of those, you know, exciting slashers and, and uh, horror films from the eighties don't really do anything for us anymore. A lot of us, some, you know, you might still watch it once for nostalgia, but it, it's, it's the, like a lot of us start to even like reach back even further. The seventies have some great stuff. I think as you get older, like, you want more, you want better storytelling. You want to, if you're going to spend the time to watch it, you know, I love mm -hmm. Dawkins, but like, you know, the soundtrack <laughs> isn't going to pull me back <clears throat> like a yeah. good moody ambiance will. Yeah. Oh, very, very good point. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, well, let's move on to the 2000s and then today. And I want to start with Jennifer's body. And the reason I want to start with Jennifer's body is when I did a poll on Twitter and then I asked on Instagram and Facebook, you know, what your favorite queer horror movie was. For some reason, I didn't put Jennifer's body in the poll, even though I knew I should have. But so many people commented and said, well, Jennifer's body, you have to talk about Jennifer's body. And I'm like, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Mm. So I think that pretty much was the one that won hands down. I mean, even beyond the poll of people's favorite. So I want to talk about that movie because that's, of course, that, of course, is another movie that I think has found new life because people, at least the critics, trashed this movie when it came <laughs> out. I think it was because they were like, oh, it's Diablo Cody and we just know her from Juno and all that kind of right. stuff. And then she does this. So what are your thoughts on Jennifer's body, Roman? I love Jennifer's body. It is one of my favorite, favorite horror films. And I'll just say this. I don't really consider it a queer movie necessarily, personally. I don't either. I don't either. At all. Uh, but it fits in there. Because I feel like it, women's issues, gay issues, they go hand in hand and they stem one stems from the other. And yeah, okay, so they have some, there are some moments that can kind of, we can talk about, but I don't think it's a queer film. I loved it when I first saw it. 
I knew that it wasn't going to fly because again, it's the way they marketed it. You know, if you, if you, if you, if it's, if it's a little too progressive for the kind of people that you want to pay to come see it, then that's what you're going to get. So Mm -hmm. ahead of its time, but you know what, wouldn't you rather have a movie that's awesome that gets like, you know, they hate it. And then in 10 years, it's the best thing ever. Instead of like, yeah, we loved it. We're on to the next thing. I don't know. I I, Very I love true. Jennifer's body and I love that we're able to talk about it now. I will say I was there opening day and I was there <laughs> one week later with seven more friends because I love this movie. Great dialogue, instantly quotable. Um, I still say salty all the time. Um, <laughs> this movie is wonderful. I remember being there and in the moment, the marketing was all about how hot Megan Fox was. And I'm like, is this just going to be Transformers 2 again, whatever. And the the lesbian kiss scene kind of comes out of nowhere in the same way that the gay kiss in Elephant kind of comes out of nowhere. Like it seems like it's forced into this narrative when you it wasn't built up in such a way that you're like, this is a good payoff. It seems like I'm appeasing a certain sect of who I think is going to show up to this movie. If that scene wasn't in there, would it be any greater or less awesome than it is? I think it doesn't matter. The people who love this movie are inherently queer themselves, which I think makes it a queer horror movie even if it's not explicitly like we're lesbians who can't be together. So mm-hmm. one of you has to die, but I think it's a great movie and I've rarely met a straight person who loves it as much as we do. Yeah. Well, that, that's a good point. It is, it's a queer movie because of the fans who made it. So, you know, like mommy dearest right, isn't a gay right. movie, but it's a gay movie, you know, so, if you're walking down the street in a Jennifer's Body t-shirt, we're best friends. Yeah. Those are the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, and you're right, that kiss would appease to you've got, you know, Amanda Seafried and you've got Megan Fox. And so we're gonna have these two hot women kiss, and it's that kind right, of thing. Right. Yeah, it's that kind of appeal there. But and like, I think yeah. That titillation on the other side of two men in What Hot American Summer, just being in that movie for no reason was my life when I was 14, 15 (laughs) years old. Here's another like secret gay thing in this movie that I don't have to explain why I love the movie if it's just Mm -hmm. for this one little moment. So if two girls are making out on screen and you as a little lesbian or bisexual or whatever person see that and you're like, oh my God, thank you that's beautiful that's wonderful it's valid awesome but it does it goes back to my love of hello mary lou prom night two oh yes which has <laughs> a similar problem being like here's this forced like female shower scene because it's a high school movie it's a it's a it's a horror movie mm-hmm. low budget these movies were made so that you could show a lot of nudity and gore and here's a little moment that is pure titillation for teenage boys 
but I love this movie. There's no reason Mary Lou should be a villain in today's world, but because it came out in the 80s, she's got to be hypersexual and then pay for it later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Hello Mary, Mary Lou. Prominent. That's Lewis. a good movie. <laughs> it's that's one of my very favorites as well. That and Jennifer's Body are great. I mean, the the fact of the matter is like even if they didn't have the kiss scene, I think those mm-hmm. ca- they don't even need scenes like that to still inspire the viewers you're talking about, Tyler, because they're women that have been wronged that are coming back with a vengeance. And, you know, we always like that, but they kind of also, but they're also just like zero fucks about it. They're right. Right. They're basically who we all want to be, you know, and they're just, I, I, I love them. Both those characters are fantastic. Hello, Mary Lou prom night Two, for is probably less people have seen that than Jennifer's body. I would assume. Yeah. Right. Uh, because it came and left pretty quickly, but it's actually fan. I always say this has, it has, it's like what better effects than dream warriors. If you're into that sort of thing, if you like the fantasy element, like it's very sharp and stylish and they throw everything into that movie. Everything, mm-hmm. you know. Including yeah. Miss Amy Sedaris, just for the gays out there. No, you're talking about Jennifer's body. I mean, from yeah. Hello, she, Mary Lou. No, he's talking oh, about Hello, Mary Lou. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, yeah and, and I watched Hello, Mary Lou when I was a kid. That was one of the ones we watched a, f- a few times. Like, I, I, I've watched that movie a lot, actually. And I know a lot of people don't know that movie. And there's certain scenes that stick out. Like the scene, she's on the rocking horse. And she's got her yeah. hand in there and the tongue's out. The, I mean, it's like mm. such a sexual movie. Like in very, very different levels. And I think as a woman, these movies, and I can also add teeth into this, which is also a very, very empowering movie for a woman. Yeah. Uh, these are this. That's what these movies are about is really it's about women taking power and taking power of their sexuality and, you know, getting revenge on men who have abused women and their sexuality and their power. I mean, you really see that of course with teeth, you see it big time. It's right there. I mean, but she's like, to me, she's a superhero. The girl with teeth is a superhero. (laughs) That's even the way it kept me. I thinking of teeth (laughs) when I was watching Raw. I just watched Raw. It was on your (laughs) your list and I kept thinking of teeth and I was like well like that's a very it's not even so much that men have wronged them it's just their place in society is Mm -hmm. wrong and I feel like it's a lot of it's a you know it's the same way where you can wake up and realize like you're having an awakening as a young pre-gay kid I think for a lot of women you also have that experience where you're like wait a second like I, there's more to me being on this planet than just having kids and, you know, being your wife. Like there's, there's a lot more that I think you have that moment. And that's what a lot of these characters are representing, whatever you want them to be. Right. That moment is what, mm -hmm. when you find it, it's amazing. I definitely feel like the monster of Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2 is sexuality. It's all sexualities are explored in this movie. That rocking horse moment is bestiality. There is an incest moment. There's lesbianism. Mm -hmm. There is promiscuity. And all the male characters in this movie are okay with Mary Lou being sexual 
as long as they get to hold the key to the cage that it opens. The fact that she's going to go get it anywhere she wants it is what vilifies her and what makes everyone want her dead. And that is so not good. I want to remake this movie where she gets to be the Sam Jones of Sex in the City and be spooky and mischievous and survive. Go do that then. I'm going to call yeah. Ron Oliver right now and pitch him. But let's talk about the movie that made you lose your voice, Tyler. So we're going to talk about Raw, <laughs> which warning to everybody, if you have not seen this movie, if you can't do body horror, don't watch this movie. It's probably a big warning to put out there for people. Absolutely. Don't Absolutely. eat. <laughs> yeah. So what are your thoughts, on Roman? Because I know Tyler lost his voice, but Roman, what are your thoughts on Raw? <laughs> it's, it's a, it's, it was complicated for me. Based on the movie, so having seen the whole thing, and I get where they were going with it, I think it was a it was a fun watch, and I think it was uh, great. And Tyler will probably have a totally different insight. <laughs> but the way it started, I've you know I've been a vegan for over twenty years, so watching this that was a big topic of the movie when it started. It felt like they were pivoting around that stance. And they were doing so in a way where I was like, wait, I don't really think they're trying to show a moral with that. I think they're just exploiting that as a means to make, I, I wasn't, I'm not quite sure, but I'm trying to figure out how to talk about it without giving everything away, or maybe it doesn't matter. But Spoilers, we'll just say spoilers. I mean, yeah, it came out in 2016, so go it. ahead. You can spoil, we spoil oh. stuff all the time in here, so go ahead. So as it, the way that it, it kind of wraps up where it's like, no, it's like a werewolf movie. Now I get it. Like the, right. the tale of like, now you see who you really are and we've tried our best to like comfort you or hot protect you from it, but we can't any longer. You're on your own. Okay. I get that. But like, there was a lot beforehand where I was like, holy shit. Like this is the French make beautiful movies. But they make mm -hmm. vile movies. This movie is fucking vile. That's mm. what I got to say about it. It definitely was yeah. intense. I watched it with my boyfriend. And at one point, we're both covering our eyes. I'm looking out the window directly away from the TV. And I'm just like, make it stop. Make it stop. <laughs> um, the body horror stuff is so graphic and... It always works. Body horror always works on me. Yeah, <laughs> this body, voice body is hilarious. Horror. <laughs> the thing that was most effective for me in this movie was her coughing up hair. Oh, and yeah. just oh. that scene, as soon as it started, as soon as I heard the like retching sound, I looked away and it lasted for like five minutes. And it just kept coming. And I'm like, I know exactly what that feels like. I don't like this. I, I watched it on Tubi, which has commercial breaks every 10 minutes. I was praying for a commercial break so I yeah. could have a reprieve of this moment. Um, it was really effective. I, I appreciated this kind of old school depiction of campus life 
that when I was a kid watching, you know, Animal House and random college set movies before the mid 90s, I was under the assumption that hazing was going to be like the most vicious part of my education going into college. I just assumed wherever you went, they treated you like shit for a whole year and you might die. But if you don't, you're like in a fraternity or something. That's just how I thought college works. And then like a few good men happened. A bunch of people died during hazing and they got rid of most of that by the time I hit high school and college. And now here's like a throwback to that era of intense bullshittery. And I don't know. I, I loved the fact that it, it felt like a real coming of age movie before the horror elements kicked in. That I thought was really effective. What I did not really piece together was the queer horror aspect of it other than the hot gay roommate. And like, I'm all about having hot gay characters in your movie. I don't know if that's enough to make it yeah. queer horror <laughs> these days. It wasn't queer horror. But it, this is something that we're, we'll get to, I'm sure, is the future of queer horror. And so I would still put it in the list for that reason. I wouldn't call it a queer movie at all. And I personally have, I think it's a little problematic in the way that it exploits the animal topic in terms of diet. But I see how it fits into the story, you know. But I, I felt like it was a little unnecessary. I like how they developed a lot of these characters. There's a lot of people you mm -hmm. meet in this movie and you get to know them and they're very complex. It's mm -hmm. more, more than most teenage college character movies. Like I, all, all cheerleaders die. I just, I, I haven't, I just, I didn't pay attention to all of it, but halfway through that movie changed completely. It went bonkers. The first half of All Cheerleaders Die, I was like, this is like a very heavy-handed gay movie for the male gaze. And then it changes. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm actually, it was playing. I had it on because I was like, I don't think I really like this movie. And as we're talking, I was watching the end going, what the hell is happening? <laughs> it went full-on <laughs> surreal fantasy. So I think I'll revisit that before I say anything. But Raw, Raw just felt like, the kind of movie that you watch because you want to see what people are talking about. But I don't think that, and I was sure hoping that all of the body horror and stuff wasn't going to be an analogy for like being gay or something like that, which it isn't, <laughs> which is good. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird movie. I mean, it's what did you think of it? Especially knowing how it ends and how abruptly it ends. Like, did you need to go through that whole ride to get there? guess yeah it's a very it's you know i was also telling tyler before we started there's this movie called eat which is about an actress who literally starts eating herself and it reminded me of that in a way even though that came out later and that's a very 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 independent movie and it's american but the reason it reminded me of that is i think it's more a movie about this woman you're watching this 
per, this girl really become a woman is what I think it's about. And her exploring like her changes in her body and herself. And um, of course it is the werewolf thing in the end, which really kind of threw me. I was like, Oh, okay. This is what this is about. Like it threw me that her sister was like doing this too. Like when she wakes up in bed and the guy's leg is like, not off by by her sister and her sister had killed him i was not expecting that that was kind of like this shock because i was expecting Ice when cream. i first <laughs> yeah that was like whoa when i first saw this i was like it's just going to be about her becoming a cannibal or craving human meat and i think they did try to do that whole th with her being a vet with her studying to be a vet and all that animal stuff and i thought the animal stuff was kind of weird in this movie because all the dogs were kind of, I don't know, it was kind of like creepy sexually being used in a way. There was like this weird sexuality yeah. with the animals. And I don't know if that was supposed to be comparative to werewolves and that kind of thing. Um, and then in the end, when you, when her dad like opens his shirt up and then you're like, oh, okay, so this is a family trait. So right. was it the blood right. being dropped on her that awakened this? That's what you keep thinking or her eating that, what she ate, you know, in the hazing when she had to eat that raw, it was, and she didn't want to eat it. And it was so much about, I think it was about so many things at once that I think it, even though it's really hard to watch this movie more than once, I think it takes more than one viewing to get mm. what it's saying. But I do agree. I think French movies are like martyrs. I've seen martyrs once and I will never watch martyrs again because <laughs> that's just, it's too, it's too much. It's like, right. it's just like being pounded over the head with brutality for, you know, an hour and a half and there's no relief and there's no hope. And I'm not watching this, that again. Yeah, with this one, even with her realizing this is a family trait, I still was like, you could still see the horror in her face that, okay, so this is my life from now on. I'm going to have to figure right. out this way to live where I'm going to be craving human flesh and it, to destroy myself, basically. It definitely <laughs> follows that lineage of Jennifer's body and ginger snaps of like, here are two female relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, ginger snaps and in Rod, they're sisters. In Jennifer's body, they're best friends but they're growing apart and in raw and ginger snaps like the older sister is like so confident and sexual she's been cursed or whatever but she's coming into her womanhood and be damned everyone else around her the younger sister is like trying to figure out her way or also is like sad to lose her sister to this to be in this new world outside of her parents' um, protection. And now she's learning new things about herself. You see her in Raw over the course of her, like dealing with her own cravings and her hunger, her thirst. It's not really thirst, it is hunger. She's it's eating. hunger, yeah. She's eating everything. You hear her stomach growling. I mean, oh, you God. Hear her. But she's it, it, it has these. Um, like withdrawal moments where you see the body kind of revulse, like I am dying if I don't do this. This is who mm -hmm. I am now. This is what I have to do. And in that, I loved how Ra played with different horror tropes. You have the obvious werewolf hunger and remorse. And then halfway through, you get the scene on a camera phone of a blackout period where she is at a party and there's a corpse at this veterinarian school 
and they're just kind of dangling in front of her face and she's so hungry she wants to eat it it's it's zombie like it's uh, mm-hmm. it's pulling from all of these classic monster tropes I guess, and framing it yeah. around the coming of age of a young woman i feel like for me it's i i i would rather watch teeth because oh, i yeah. feel like if a movie's going to make me if a movie's going to make me overlook obvious things like why are there no like authorities stopping this or where did that corpse come from at a teenage party or she just <laughs> murdered somebody nobody's looking for him like all of those things if you want me to go with that then it has to be a black comedy it can't be a straight up horror you know i need to know that there's a surreal aspect for me personally i'm not saying no one else should like this movie it's a good movie it looked beautiful <laughs> well well acted all that stuff the gore was believable, obviously. I have a few personal issues with it, but overall, like, had it just been a little bit more of like, I I can I can take this when it's presented like Teeth, where it's, I guess I wouldn't call Teeth a comedy, but it, it's definitely like you know, it's Absurd. just a different tone. Camp. It's, it's got some dark. It's got some dark comedy elements to it, though, for sure. Teeth does. Yeah, for sure. I guess that. I guess for me. That's how I would have been able, I would have loved the movie more if it was presented that way. Uh, because mm-hmm. I just feel like it fits, especially with the way that Raw ends, felt like an ending for a movie like Teeth, right? Yeah, that's uh, very true, yeah. So I think that's probably what my biggest takeaway was, was like, I'm wowed by all the gross out effects. I'm wowed by the cinematography, but ew. <laughs> You also <laughs> love that song. Oh yeah, what was it? Bang the Dead, the song that they all they're playing. I mean, I do. They did have. It was a little tongue in cheek at times, which I appreciated. Those were the times where I usually sat up in my chair and laughed. But the rest of it, I was just like, why, why, why is she doing? Why, why? It's just I asked why too many times. So just go yeah. with it. Yeah, well, and I have to I have to say, as someone who has a sister, that is not. I would never. I could never imagine some of the stuff they did as sisters. I'm like, no, you don't do that with your sister. I'm sorry, but no. Yeah, some of that stuff uh, was kind of uncomfortable. I was like, uh, wait, oh yeah, they're sisters. I kept having to remind myself they were sisters mm. because, yeah, no, I love my sister, but no. <laughs> I did love that older sister. Oh, oh god that was so disturbing <laughs> that was the loudest i screamed before the real moment happened it was photographed like a final destination movie is photographed it's hyper that's true close-ups you know something is gonna go wrong and it's misdirection so the suspense is there and it just savors it as long as it possibly can before yeah. it gets even worse. The French know how to fuck <laughs> you up for sure. They do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Okay. Well, the next one on here was something that actually a, a listener recommended. I hadn't watched what keeps you alive until they said, you definitely need to talk mm-hmm. about this one. I so just, I watched I just it for the first time it. this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I watched yeah. it on, on Friday. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this one? Did you watch it Roman? Did you get a chance to watch this one? No, I haven't uh, seen this one. 
Tyler, but what were your thoughts? I asked Tyler about it because it looks really good. I really love the way it's shot. It was a good cat and mouse game. My issue towards the, like, it was moving at such well, a what pace. Makes it what makes it's it gay? What makes it gay? It's, it's the two characters, Jackie and Jules. They just got married, these two women, and they go off. I, I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be their honeymoon or something. They go to this cabin that is owned by Jackie's family. Right. And then all these secrets come out. And yeah. <laughs> right. I did like it. There was a moment that I thought was really good. And then I stopped to go to the bathroom and realized I still had 30 minutes left. Like I thought I had watched the whole movie and then it kind of kept going. I think there was like three or four false endings to this movie. And at that point I'm like, okay, girls wrap it up. Like, let's, let's get to it. I really liked it that first hour. And then the ending kind of unraveled a bit, but Dedicated performances. I was happy that you recommended that I watch it. <laughs> yeah, well, it was my first time watching it. All thanks to listener mm. recommending watching this one. So that's the reason I watched it because I hadn't watched it yet either. So I, yeah. I do think it is telling that this was done by a, a man, though, and was directed mm-hmm. by a man. I, and I think right. it's evident in the movie, frankly. I mean, I, I, I liked it, but I it's funny because it's a short movie, but it felt longer. And I think it was because of that thing of like feeling like it was ending and then more right. stuff. And right. then even the ending ending, I still felt like, okay, is something else going to happen. <laughs> right. I kept waiting for more stuff to happen. So yeah, I, I, I'm kind of mixed on, I think I'd have to watch it again. I think the performances were really good. I think H- Hannah, Emily Anderson, who played Jackie, Mm-hmm. You could tell she was having a blast doing this, I think. <laughs> so I won't say much just because mm. Roman hasn't seen it. But, um, right. But, yeah. But I mean, this. <laughs> no, you guys I can know spoil it. I'm fine. We can spoil it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a horror movie. It's a married couple. One of them's a murderer. Yeah. But I know we're in this moment where, like, We can't depict queer people as not being polite members of society. Like there was some pushback. I'm on the other side. I'm like, we can have queer killers too. Like it doesn't, it's, it's one thing when the only depictions of queer life are villains and monsters. We're not in that moment right now, Mm -hmm. which I think allows for a movie like this to be enjoyed. And I think- But isn't the hero also queer? It's yes. a, it's a gay True. woman on both, True. both sides. So yes. True. But- fine. Yeah. And, and yeah, there, I do say, I do think the little twist that's in there of what Jules does to Jackie that you don't see coming was pretty, I don't want to spoil, I know you said to go ahead and spoil it, but I don't want to spoil that twist because I think that that mm. was pretty, I didn't see that coming, honestly. And I thought that was very smart and clever. I will say, after the first reveal, and then hosting a lesbian dinner party, felt really accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Let's have a fight and then have people over and try to contain ourselves. That felt really accurate to me. 
when she there is and i will since you said we could do some spoilers from it at the beginning when you yeah. first because they go out to this cabin and what happens is a childhood friend of jackie's comes over there and sees them and like reveals all this stuff ends up revealing like a friend died in this lake and there were suspicions that Jackie did it and she like changed her name, all this weird stuff. And then there's this scene where, you know, they've kind of, they've had this fight argument and then discussion, Jackie and Jules and they, they're doing okay. And they're walking. And I thought this was really well done. Cause I kind of went, Whoa. <laughs> and they're walking. And then all of a sudden, you know, Jules is looking over this cliff and Jackie, and she's like smiling. She's all happy. And then Jackie just pushes her off the cliff. Like just so <laughs> like, boom. And just, and she survives, hmm, but it's right. just like this, like, Whoa, That's it like really kind of shocked me. Yeah, it is at the 20. Now, now I need to see it. Right. <laughs> That's, that's when I like jolted up and like, oh, okay, I'm into this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, whoa, I was not expecting her to do that. So <laughs> it really does kind of jolt you because she's just a complete sociopath. She's just completely, she has no feeling, just and devoid of feeling. We as queer people can be that now. Well, and I, yeah, and I agree. I yeah. think, and it wasn't like she was killing people because she, you know, reveals that she's killed another woman that she was married to. I think she, she was married to her, right? A lot of it is for money. She's doing this for money. And so it's not like the reason she's killing people is mm. because they are gay. She's not doing that. It's just, she's just, she's just a sociopath and she just likes to kill and wants money. So that's this why she's doing it. This movie is the queer Debbie Jelinski we've been at waiting for <laughs> from Adam's Family Values. <laughs> I want you dead and I want your money. Exactly. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Midnight Kiss then. So what are your thoughts on Midnight Kiss, Roman? Which, if you don't know, this is basically a gay slasher movie is how it was marketed. It's part of the Hulu Into the Dark series on Hulu. So, And it came out, mm -hmm. like it was like two years ago, I think, I want to say. Because I know was, I watched it right when it came out. But. It was No, it was New Year's Eve. It was, yeah, but I couldn't remember if it was or, last New Year's Eve or was the year before New Year's Eve. I can't year remember. Year before. But it, this was yeah, because right after we yeah. we met we met a few of the actors when we were at festivals with Scream. Oh yeah, and then yeah. when oh, we ended okay. the tour, then it was on television. So it's been two years now, and what are my thoughts on it? So I liked it. It took a minute for me to like it. I had to get, get into it. Because at first I was, it's just like Queer as Folk. I hate that show. I realize a lot of people like it. And I'm not saying it's bad the way that the, it's, it's well made. I don't identify with any of those people. Those are not the gay people that I know. I know they're there. But that's, so me, it took me a minute because I thought maybe that, that's the road they were going to take with a lot of these characters. And a little bit they did, but for the most part, right. as it progressed, I liked them more. And I appreciated the the way that it escalated. It was a lot of fun. I didn't necessarily love, it was still shallow, but most slashers are. Like they were intending yeah. to make something that was just the entertainment we as gay people didn't have. Like we right. want to have shallow, stupid, sexy characters too. And they, this delivered on that. So I give it a thumbs up for that. They definitely took the blueprint of an 80s slasher movie, which is like unnecessary nudity and sex. As often as you can put it on screen, mm -hmm. please do that. And they made it gay. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's 
all that I want from these movies. They're supposed to be fun and frivolous and kind of stupid. And then after a while, it clicks and you're like in a cat and mouse chase and rooting for the gay at the center to to be the final girl you know he's going to be. Um, I really love the And he did, the he did a good job, Beauty. too. They like depicted yes. <laughs> backroom culture at a bar. And I'm like, I have never seen that in a mainstream accessible movie. But like Hulu mm-hmm. is for everyone now. So it's wild, wa- widely available. And I love that. If I was 13 years old and this movie was available to me, it would be my favorite movie. But when I was, when it, whenever I was that age, that movie was Voodoo Academy, which is David Dakota's like straight to video horror movie. They just had pretty white boys in tidy whities for the whole movie. There's little plot. They're just walking around to be like sexy. And, but there's a horror element to it. And I'm like, this is a better version of that. There's at least a story that you can comprehend and follow through. I'm saying we as queer people deserve to have trash as well. Absolutely. As, as quality representations in media, let's have some fun too. Please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Midnight Kiss. It did it right. did end yeah. fun. It, it was fun. At first I was like, these are these people all seem dumb, you know. But that's I guess that's the formula, <laughs> right? You know? And then and then I actually ended up the Augustus Prue was the hero. And mm-hmm. he did a great job at the end. He had to do a lot uh, of running and jumping out of windows or whatever and like you know getting swiped at with knives and he did a believable job like he didn't seem like he was he wasn't like a gym body that was like able to leap over fences because that's all he does is work out he really had to kind of struggle and it and it worked and i liked it plus it had like weird twists and seemed like you know kind of like scream where like people are gonna pop up again and you gotta stab them once more like it was cool (laughs) i like that I liked, yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I just thought it was a lot of fun. And I and I like a lot of those movies in the Into the Dark series. I think there are a lot that are fun. Some are really horrible, but some are a lot of fun. I, I don't know if they've even released one recently. I can't even remember the last one they did, but I think it's a fun little series. But yeah, I I you know, I I dug it. I was entertained the whole time and I remember the girls fun. being really great in that show. I'm looking at Aiden Mayeri. I remember she was really, they had like believable female characters more so than the men. That's just something I remember thinking for what it's worth. Yeah. Well, I want to go on to the future of queer horror. And then also just quickly, if there are any other movies that you want to mention, like I know like some people, like, you know, there's Freaky, like people have mentioned that movie a lot. I love Freaky. I love Freaky too. I like Freaky a lot. Yeah. But, um, it, it feels more like a comedy to me. Not no yeah. marks against it. Um, I actually really love a good horror comedy, but I find myself responding more to the humorous elements of the film than the horror. Like the horror kind of takes a back seat. It's there. It's good. It's kind of like a built-in 
camp experience. The mm-hmm. audience you're watching it with are going to be loud, boisterous, laughing hysterical, and then here's some gore, and it's done so well that you laugh even more. Like, it doesn't make me terrified as much as I'm enjoying myself, having a good time all around. Yes. I also really love The French Stranger by the Lake. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's, um, I saw it at the New York Film Festival the year it came out. It's at this giant prestige posh theater in Lincoln Center, full of elegant rich people and straight, I'm assuming. And every six minutes, two of them get up and walk out. Two of them get up and walk out. Suddenly, it's nothing but gay men in the theater sitting on our hands being like, oh, God, this is a lot. This is a lot of movie. And when you watch it, you'll know. (laughs) Okay, I've written it down. So I'll I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. Yeah. So, Roman, I know you said you're all about the future. So what do you what do you want to say about the future of queer horror? The future of queer horror is, so there's like two ways, two two different things here. There's future horror movies as they're coming out, depicting things as they are. And then the future, like, where do we see it going, right? So you have something like Midnight Kiss, which is the future of queer horror in the sense that we are like taking the lead and we're making movies that we didn't have before for and we're presenting people realistically for the most part and we are existing right and the more as we as we go forward there's going to be more of that there's a lot of there's a lot of queer horror that is now not being shoved into subtext but there's another series on right now called two cents two sentence horror that i i talk to tyler about all the time they're little shorts they're like half an hour like twilight zone episodes two sentence horror i think they just have two seasons out now and each one of those it's they have like one episode dedicated to a trans kid in high school Uh, another episode that's dedicated to like a uh a latin woman who's a house cleaner who has to save the kids from uh home invasion like they focus on they focus they they highlight the characters that we don't really get to see you know, if, if, if it's a non-white male, they'll probably have a chapter and they do a really great job of it. So they're, they're telling true tales, you know, they have a gay, uh, I don't want to give them away because they're short stories and they're great to watch on Netflix. I think it's Netflix. Yeah, I think it's Netflix. Mm -hmm. Two sentence horror. It's just really great to see. That's the, for now they're like, let's just take up. We've seen all of these horror movies, all these horror stories have been regurgitated so many times. If you're going to do it again, at least do it through different eyes, you know, and that's what they've done. But then there's shows like Sex Ed, which is not horror, but it's it's showing a utopia, essentially, or like an idealized version of how different people, how different sexualities all can coexist beautifully. And you laugh at it. So... I kind of wonder if maybe horror is actually going to be the genre that picks up the mantle here. I'm kind of thinking it won't be because they're focused more on nostalgia at the moment where there's a whole lot of other shows, other genres that are kind of pushing it forward that now apocalypse show that nobody watched, but me 
it was another great <laughs> example. It's a Greg Araki movie, a uh, TV series where they just, they just like, you haven't watched sex ed, but the reason why I've been drawn to these shows is that you just step right into the room and everybody is like, it has a, a straight man, a straight boy and a gay boy are best friends. And they always have been. And that's not like something they have to like explain to people. They just are. They're riding bikes together in the opening scene. They're talking about their stuff and it's not a thing, you know, and to everyone around them, it's not a thing either. And to their parents, it's not a thing. And so we need to see more of that, not just because as queer people, I need that representation, but I think straight people need a better roadmap, you know, and this is giving it to the younger culture. When you're at, when you're able to show people how you can behave, then it helps kind of offset all of those other bad examples they've been fed for so long. So, you know, I love it. So I, I, I kind of feel like to wrap it up, to answer your question, the future of horror, I hope is going to be the horror version of what I just mentioned, where the gay person can be the hero. It doesn't need to be like this big whole controversy in the plot. He can have straight people that are supporting leads, not just an all gay cast written by gay people. That's great. But we really need to elevate to where uh, we aren't pivoting around the white male lead at all times. Then you know that we've leveled the playing field more. That's what I'm pushing for. And I have a feeling that we're going to get there roundabout way by shows like Sex Ed and, and things like that. Well said. And Tyler? The future. I don't know. I, anybody else watch the Fear Street trilogy on Netflix? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. in, a, in a very kind of similar way, Jennifer's body is like a lost Fear Street novel. Like it feels like this uh, hodgepodge of monstrosity thrown in together, making the queer central relationships to queer women, high school kids. I don't know. They did. And they it's did wonderful. in those movies. What I was saying, they did a good job of that. Of they like, did. Right. Yeah. Those and it, were the characters. Take it or leave it. Right. And it's still kind of a reveal in the beginning of the Fear Street books. Like, oh, they're lesbians. And it would be annoying if that was like a third act reveal. But it's front and center. Here it is. Go with it. We're going to have a lot of fun if you just come along with us. I love that. I feel like horror is specifically wonderful to move social norms to make everybody aware of an issue and exploit the fear of it, but also create new heroes who can overcome these obstacles. I know it's just been announced we're getting a gay conversion camp horror movie yeah. from Blumhouse starting next year. I think that's great. I think the beautiful thing of Get Out being so successful being Oscar winning is that it puts all people who watch it in the character of a black man interfere or in, interacting with white people and how inherently tense and strange and scary that is. And then it put centralizes your experience through his eyes. It's going to be scary at, for white people who have never like thought of that. 
I think we need the same for queer characters being like, we're going to show you what it's like to be in a room full of straight people that is inherently tense and nervous. And you're going to feel those things that we feel and can't articulate all the time. A movie can do that for you. We are waiting for that moment to be as popular and successful that like the straights would be like, oh yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say those things. I shouldn't do those things. Um, well, we, you've seen Powder, right? Uh, obviously a oh, controversial yeah. backstory, mm-hmm. but yeah. Powder is a Surprisingly, that, that was not allowed to see Powder growing up huh, because really? of the controversy. Yeah. I love that movie. I, everything aside, I think it's a fabulous movie to do exactly what you just said. Um, but obviously it's a, you know, a different kind of character that anybody can see through their eyes, but it's just, if we can make powder in, in different forms, then real, like that's the movie that you need. Are you talking about drugs? Yeah. <laughs> we all need to be able to party together with powder. I think that if we, that's, that's essentially the goal is to, you know, bridge the divide between everybody so that we could stop all of this, you know, oppression is to be able to empathize with each other and see share experiences so if horror has been able to do that over the years and i would hope Mm -hmm. that horror could pick up the mantle here so when you told me that like when you say bloomhouse is making a conversion camp movie or whatever my first thought is don't go there that's not for you because you're gonna make this into like a, a saw or something but I'm, but that's just, you know, my gut reaction. It could actually be a beautiful experience. They could show it that, like, oh yeah, this is the existence that you impose on other people. So I, I guess it's better to be positive and keep your fingers crossed here. Well, I would hope not everything is made with a safe, like, you know, I think there's, like, I think Will and Grace was a show that was made for a straight audience, frankly. Uh, that was a safe, you know, you didn't really see too much, you know, Will was never really sexualized in any kind of way. And you still had that. I think there were still people that were viewing it and hoping that it would actually going to be a love story and Will and Grace were actually going to end up together. I really do think there were people that were watching that thinking that. And so I think that that's the one thing is you want to make sure that you're making something that isn't necessarily being like, this is your safe thing where straight audiences can consume this and still feel okay. Um, where you are seeing fully fleshed out characters living their living their lives and it not being just about sexuality, where you get to have those stories, where you get to have, like you said, Roman, where you get to have a straight man and a gay man being friends and it, there's never a question about it. Um, it's just the way it is. It's never like, it doesn't become this big, huge issue or this big, huge thing where the, the straight guy is always worried that the gay guy wants to sleep with him, that kind of thing, where there you don't have that worry there. I do think, though, that there's still a lot of issues like you had. Uh, we've talked about the show Supernatural a lot on this show because that's the way a lot of us met that are on this. And that show queer baits like <laughs> nobody's business. And it did that in it, the series finale. It basically had the huge barrier gaze trope where a character that for years people, one of the biggest ships in the world is Dean and Cassiel, who is a 
Angel. And he reveals that he is in love with Dean in like the very last season. And I remember watching it thinking, I can't believe they're actually doing this. This is CW. They don't do this. And then he immediately dies, like almost immediately. He never gets that reciprocated. There's no reaction to it. So this is still, so it's still an issue. I think there's still a lot of that of like, we'll give you a little bit of representation and then we want to take it away. So I think... Mm. I'm, I hope I'm, I'm a pessimist. So it's hard for me to be like, I'm, I'm glad to hear more optimism because I think there is that. I think there's also, honestly, I think the new gen, the next generation, like kids nowadays, they view this stuff so much differently than we do. It's, it's incredible. It's like not an issue for a lot of kids nowadays. It's just like, Okay, it's like right. everybody, you know, with pronouns, it's like this thing that's just normalized. It's not where, you know, people are very leery of it and weary of it and don't know how to say and don't know how to approach that. Whereas kids are just like, no, this is just, you know, we just accept yeah. people. So that gives me hope <laughs> more yeah. than a lot of what other yeah. generations have done. <laughs> a few steps behind for sure. So yeah. And, and the other thing, I, the other thing I want to say really quickly is not just white people in the LGBTQIA community either. That's the other big thing is there has to be a lot more yeah. representation, has to be a lot more diverse. So that's, I think that's the other big thing that um, needs to happen that doesn't happen enough, sadly. <laughs> so that's the big thing I also wanted to point out. Well, great. For well, sure. thank you both. Thank you both so much. I really appreciated this conversation. I thought it was great. And I know there's a lot more we could cover on this and I'm just excited to see where it goes. And then Roman and Tyler are scheduled unless they end up getting a job during that time, which I almost, I almost gave you a teasingness on that Tyler. When you moved this, I almost said, what, you're going to turn down this podcast for money. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Um, She's got to buy throat lozenges. <laughs> Yeah, get those throat lozenges. But Roman and Tyler are scheduled, in, unless something comes up and they get a job, to be on our horror trivia night for queer horror. So if you're listening to this, we probably will have questions about some of these movies we've covered. Susie is also going to be on that one. And Susie was supposed to be on this one, but she couldn't come on, unfortunately, because I know she has a lot of thoughts about this, too. So, But she'll be on that horror trivia night, which is coming up late October. So like the last week of October. So I'm going to go around and just have you both, if there's anything you want to promote or anything like that, and just where you can be found, Roman. Well, you know, Tyler and I can both be found at anything Scream Queen related. So all the social media is us. If you just want to come and like, you know, love That's love our journey. It's Scream Queen Doc. Scream Queen Doc. Um, but, you know, we also work together. We do a lot of film work together. He does he does a lot of editing and shooting, and I do sound, so I'm The End Audio. And TheEndAudio.com is where all of my actual, like, nine-to-five work is happening. And Tyler... You can find me at TypicalFilms.com. Tyler Ray Jensen on Instagram. The Tyler Jensen on Twitter. Tyler Kinesis on TikTok until they block me again. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, queer life is too sexy for TikTok. So <laughs> yeah. be warned. You yeah, your stuff, is, your stuff, you get blocked a lot. You get blocked I know. You're, you're always posting on Twitter saying this is going to get me blocked. Like, <laughs> well, like, it's been happening so often. I've been keeping a record of like, this oh, is the line. Yeah. 
this is the line if you're queer. If you are homosexual, this is inappropriate. I see a lot of similar content from non-queer people that gets a pass. And I'm just documenting it now. Now it's going to be a new documentary. Just wait. Um, okay. <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Just wait. Just wait. <laughs> and if you have trouble finding any of their social media, we are following them on all of our social media, except for TikTok, because we do have a TikTok account, but I don't understand TikTok. It's and so much fun. I've been told I have to learn you. TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> Until they block me, but I, I've mm. been told I need to learn TikTok. So we do have a TikTok account. I always forget to mention it because yeah. I don't I, understand TikTok at all. I hate to be the millennial <laughs> of it all, but TikTok was a lot cooler like three months ago. And now, now it's not. <laughs> every other video every other video is an ad. And they're like, oh, oh the the wild, wild west days of TikTok are behind us. So maybe you can skip it. I don't know. <laughs> I just stick to my Instagram selfies. That's all I can do. That's as much time as I have. So you can follow me there uh, if you like to see that. When yeah. you all yeah. watch Malignant, we can have a talk about that. Oh, I still need to watch Malignant. That's on, that's on. My, my sister saw it and she went, that was the stupidest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> she hated it. But then I've had other people say I've watched it like 10 times. Like, my okay. hot take is that it's a queer horror film and we can discuss that next time. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Well, this is Aaron. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. I'm not really, well, we're doing our live American Horror Story tweets. We're still doing that. That's mainly through the fandom thing account. We've been doing that because since that episode was so popular and it's a lot more palatable to digest American Horror Story in the live tweet realm. So we're starting the second part of Double Feature, which I guess is all aliens. So the first part was like creative vampires. So, so no more Finn Whitrock's beautiful, gorgeous black hair. I can't talk about it anymore. (laughs) I I was in P-Town while they were shooting that. Oh, really? The first five minutes they showed the alley where my house was. And I was like, oh my God, yay. (laughs) And then I'm like, okay, I've seen it. I don't need to finish this. Yeah, it was, it was very, it was a typical American horror story. That's, you know, mm-hmm. but we're doing that every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Mountain Time. And it's me and Jen from my streaming bubble and Susie as well. And sometimes the other Erin, Erin Amos, sometimes she joins us as well. So that's a lot of fun. So to follow that, go to our Twitter account, which is at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. Be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, feel free to reach out to us at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. And on our next episode, we're going to be talking about Candyman. We're going to be talking about the 1992 version and then Nia DaCosta's film. And that's going to be Carla, Sasha, and Susie. And that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to have to watch how many times we say that during the recording, though. So that'll be fun. But until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.